I've, uh, I've met a few of you already. As Jared has said, my name is Stephen Cook. I'm the pastor of Chestnut Grove Bible Church. That's in Keatesville, Maryland. And uh, since this past January, I've also been with Churches and Missions. Um, my family's in the, pre- in the process this year of moving into Churches and Missions full-time. Come this January, this coming January, we actually will be full-time with Churches and Missions. But uh, my wife's name's Alicia, and we have four boys, as you can see, and a little girl. So uh, the four boys are Connor, Eli, Declan, Liam, and then the girl's Eliana. And actually, I'm going to have them come up here uh, in just a little bit and uh, just share a little something with you guys. But is it on? It's on? Oh, got a clicker. All right. Awesome. Okay, let's see what happens here. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all for letting me come here and share today. Uh, I just want to briefly explain our heart into being called into churches and missions and how today's passage that we're going to look at and another passage in Psalm has kind of spoken to our hearts this year. You know, growing up, I never, I never really wanted to be a missionary. Um, early on in college, actually, in Bible college, I actually prayed to the Lord that he not call me into missions. Ironically, that was during a missions conference. I went to the bathroom and prayed to the Lord, please don't make me go to missions. Uh, but through the study of God's Word, especially since our church's study in Acts, which we began in early 2021, God has been making it clear to me that we are already in missions exactly where we're at. Over the past couple of years, God's given our family a passion for outreach that never truly feels satisfied. Uh, Alicia and I believe that True outreach is reaching our community and beyond our community, meeting practical needs and telling people about Jesus and what he's done for us and what he can do for them. Um, It's not so much about getting people into our church as it is going out to where they are and telling them about Jesus. In 2018, my family went on our first mission trip with CIM, uh, and we loved every minute of it. It's actually John Miller who took us. Afterwards, Alicia and I talked about one day possibly joining CIM, but we felt like maybe we'll do that once the kids are grown. Um, Over the years since then, God has had my family looking for and doing outreach to our communities around us. We kind of took what we learned on the mission trips and started applying to it at home. One night in 2021, my family went to the mall in Hagerstown uh, and passed out bags with treats in them. And uh, we walked around. Bags also had a track in them. And we walked around giving it out to families. Uh, We actually were stalked by the mall security guard, but he never told us to stop. We wound up handing out over 120 bags that night in the mall. And then we decided, you know what, let's do this on Halloween night. You know, growing up, my family, we were of the belief uh, that on Halloween night, we throw a thing of Tootsie Rolls outside the door and everyone go in the basement and hide, right? (laughs) But uh, we, we decided, you know, Halloween... Every single day belongs to the Lord. Halloween is no exception. So we decided, you know what, we're going to go out into the community and we're going to hand out tracts and a candy bar to everyone who's handing out candy in the town of Sharpsburg near us. And our family loved it. They thrived with it. Uh, We hit up all the houses there in Sharpsburg. And then Alicia, and we've actually been doing that uh, every year since. And it's making a big impact in the communities around us. Uh, Alicia and Connor started up a blessing bag ministry in our church that reaches out to the homeless uh, with practical needs, but also a copy of God's Word in there. So we've been taking what we learn on these mission trips and kind of applying them to our lives. 
this past year, we went on a mission trip to Kentucky with churches and missions, and we felt the burden and calling to missions even stronger after that. God used us greatly on that trip, and he started tugging on our hearts uh, for CIM even more than before. And we brought that fire home with us. You know, my sons have turned into little evangelists, and everyone that they ask, or everyone that they see, they ask if they're a Christian. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you feel like, I just want to break, I want to go eat dinner with my family and not evangelize. But then Eli will talk to the waitress, and she'll ask him, you know, what's with that cross? Because he says, I got that for Christmas. And then, long story short, he winds up asking her, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? So the Lord has been using our family um, each and every day since these mission trips, and we've been applying it at home. And Alicia and I realized that, you know, maybe waiting to go into missions, that's not the thing. Maybe, maybe we should go into missions now with the kids while they are uh, participating with us. I, mean, I can see the Lord working through the kids um, and so Alicia and I prayed about it. We decided to take a month. We set apart a month to uh, just pray, um, just the two of us. And then about 15 days into that, we decided to include the kids because this is their lives too. And each passing month, God has given us more and more peace about joining CIM full-time. So there's two passages that I want to share with you today uh, that the Lord has been using, as I said, to encourage us to speak to our hearts through, through the, this year. And the first one it's Psalm 96, verses 1 through 3. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nation, his wonders among all people. So let's briefly unpack these three verses here and what the Lord tells us in them. Right there in verse 1, uh, we see God telling us to sing unto him a new song. Now, there's nothing wrong with singing to the Lord an old song, right? If you're a child of God, if you are saved today, singing to God from our hearts or even out loud, singing to him and praising him for our salvation may be an old song, but it's still a good song. God loves to hear us praise him for all things, especially our salvation. But what the idea here in verse 1 is, is to praise God and sing to him for all the new things that he continuously does. Praise God for the new things that he's doing in your life and in your heart. If you're breathing today, God is working in you. Praise him for that. God's mercies and grace are like the ocean waves. How many here have been to the ocean and see the waves? They, they keep on coming, don't they? They don't stop. God's mercies and graces are like that. And not only that, but sing our new songs of praise to him. Look at the end of verse 1. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. What that means is people everywhere, people on all the earth, sing unto the Lord and tell others about how the Lord has blessed you. You know, a lot of times in witnessing, I found witnessing doesn't just happen uh, by telling them the gospel, right? It starts with normal conversations with people and then me praising God for what he's done this week. And from there, the conversation smoothly transitions into why I praise him. I praise him because he is God and he is my savior and he can be yours too. Verse 2 starts by saying, sing unto the Lord, bless his name. The word sing and the word bless has the meaning of praising the Lord, right? Singing involves joyful praise and blessing the name of the Lord. That simply means speaking well about God. 
speaking well of our God to anyone and everyone that we have a conversation with. Next it says in verse 2, show forth his salvation from day to day. What that means is proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. So first we have praising God and blessing his name to others, and then from there proclaiming the good news of his salvation. That means tell people about Jesus. Tell people of his testimony in you. Tell people of his story in your life. That's what our testimony is, right? It's God's story in us. And the thing that makes it good news is that Jesus is for every person, every person that we talk to. And then verses 2 through 3 gives us guidelines right on how we're to speak well of Jesus and tell people about him. The first way is at the end of verse 2, it says from day to day. That means this isn't just for Sundays or Wednesdays. This is for every day, speaking well of Jesus and telling people what he's done for me and can do for them is for every day. Amen? From day to day. Next in verse 3, we get the other two ways. It says, declare his glory. Here it is, among the heathen. Among the heathen. Heathen, in the King James, heathen is referring to anyone. Anyone. Uh, who was looking for God. You know, I was once a heathen. Everybody in this room, we were born heathens, right? The point here is to share the good news of the gospel to all people. And it says it right there at the end of verse 3. This is not just for here, us in America. This is not just for any one nation. Jesus is to be declared by us to all nations. Early on in my research with churches and missions, I learned that through CIM mission trips... Uh, with many different churches, the good news of Jesus has been shared with over 28 different countries. And I'm glad that God has called me to be a part of that. When the end of verse 3 there says, declare his wonders among all people, it means tell everyone we can about how God works in our lives. I truly believe in the depth of my heart that with our God, there is no coincidences. We've seen God lead us to just the right place at just the right time to pray with someone who was planning to commit suicide that day. And myself and Sean Coffey, we sat down with him and we prayed with him and told him about Jesus and told him the wonders of Jesus working in our lives. And after we prayed with him, he had tears running down his face. And he decided to go home to his family that afternoon. As a matter of fact, what he did after that was go over to Alicia. Alicia was cutting people's hair and he got a haircut, and he was smiling, and he was happy. And someone who's planning on committing suicide that afternoon is not going to get a haircut. So that's the Lord arranging that for Sean and I to be able to tell about the wonders of Jesus. Between all of us, I know that we could spend the rest of this entire week sitting here telling each other about the wonders of our God and what he's done for us and our families and how he works in our lives and the lives of other people. And we can see how our lives and other people's lives are connected. And it's a beautiful thing. So the Lord's been using these three verses and also the book of Acts to encourage me and my family and exhort us as we move into his will for full-time missions. And the second passage that the Lord's been using is our passage today. Acts chapter 9, verses 9 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 9 through 19. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 9. And the name of today's sermon here is Don't Get in the Way of God's Calling for You. Don't get in the way of God's calling for you. And while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. 
Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the sun shining. We thank you, Lord, for the health that you've given us to make it out here together. Lord, we do pray for those who are unable to make it due to their health. Uh, we think of Pastor Dan, Lord. It's his turn to catch this bug, and Lord, we ask that you would please uh, heal him from this quickly. Lord, we ask that you, he would get some good rest today, and he'd wake up uh, feeling much better, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would take care of his family. Lord, we ask that you would bless this time now that we spend together in your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak through me. Help me not get in the way of your message here in Acts chapter 9. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a little context here for this passage, Acts chapter 9. At the beginning of this chapter, Saul, uh, he was an angry, self-righteous man who felt that it was God's calling on his life to persecute Christians. He not only persecuted them, but he murdered them as well. Uh, while he was on the road to Damascus to hunt down more Christians, Jesus reached down from heaven and appeared to Saul. The light that shone from Jesus blinded Saul, and Jesus asked Saul, Why are you persecuting me? It was at this moment that Saul realized that his hateful murder of Christians was not a calling from God. Saul realized that he was doing this out of hatred and out of fear, and that it was hurting God rather than serving God. Jesus spoke to Saul and told him that he, Jesus, was the only way to righteousness, not Saul's own self-righteousness. Jesus told Saul that in Christ alone do we find forgiveness of sin. Saul realized for the first time that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is God, and that the only way that Saul would receive forgiveness of his sins and be able to go to heaven was by believing in Jesus and asking him for forgiveness of all of his sins. Saul was humbled. Before that moment, he was very proud, right? He was humbled through that. He realized that his hatred and his murder were a series of sins, and Saul repented from that. He accepted Jesus as his Savior that day on the road to Damascus. But Saul was left blind. Saul didn't know what God planned for him, but he knew that he wanted to do it. Jesus told Saul to go to Damascus, and there he would be told what the next step is. Saul's friends, who were there, he was riding with a group of friends, they all actually led him to Damascus. And that's where we pick up today. So let's read this passage here again together, starting in verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Uh, it says, And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. 
So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. There's a beautiful picture of forgiveness here and a picture of trusting God that we can see in this passage. So today we're going to look closely at three persons, right? We're going to look at Saul, we're going to look at Tar- or, uh, Ananias, and we're going to look at God. There are lessons to be learned from all three persons here. And as I said, the point of this whole sermon is don't get in the way of God's calling for you. But first we need to understand what is a calling. I spent a lot of time this year studying the calling of God. And I set out to make my own kind of somewhat educated definition of the calling of God, and this is what I concluded. There we go. A calling from God is God choosing you for a specific biblical purpose and Him making His choosing of you known to you. The word biblical is very important in this passage. A lot of people can say they think God is calling them to do anything, right? But the thing to remember is God will never call us to do anything that goes against His Word that He's already given us. But He does call each of us to serve Him and to love others. Pastors are called into the ministry. Missionaries are called into missions. But God doesn't just call people into full-time paid vocational ministry. Before I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before I'm a missionary, I'm a follower of Jesus. Being a missionary is what I do, but following Jesus is who I am. Each of us are called to love those in our lives by meeting their practical needs and sharing the truth of Jesus with them. Each of us who are Christians are Christians because God called someone to share the truth of the gospel with us. For me, the first person was my mother. She wasn't paid to do it, but God called her to do it. God calls each of us to serve him and love others no matter what our occupation is. And of all the people in the world and of all the temptations in the world and of all the things that we that try to stop us from following God's calling, we are the ones who get in our own way the most. Let's see if I can switch that slide. Getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Way ahead of myself. There we go. We are the ones who get in our own way the most. Both of the men in our passage today, they were struggling. There was a spiritual battle going on with these men, and both Saul and Ananias battled with their own understanding. Mentally, these two men in our passage today were struggling. They were battling their own doubts and fears. And Saul battled the memory of his past. See if I can switch that slide. I might just ditch this remote and just point at you. There we go. One more click. Paul battled the memory of his past. If you notice in verse 9, Saul refused to eat and drink anything, right? Uh, For three days. Now think about that. If Saul was fasting, it would have said that. But it doesn't say that Saul was fasting. It says Saul was not eating or drinking anything. He was praying. As we can see in verse 11, Saul was praying, but this was not fasting. This was something else. For three days, Saul laid in bed in Damascus in total darkness. He was blind. He had no way of knowing what time or even what day it was unless someone had told him. I'm sure he had hoped that by the end of day one, Jesus would have told him what the next step is, right? 
of putting ourselves in his shoes. But Jesus didn't. Not on day one, not on day two, but then day three came. I'm sure many of us can relate to this in a way, can't we? Waiting on the Lord. In our minds, it feels like we're waiting in darkness, mentally, not knowing what we should do next, waiting on the Lord to show us some kind of way. If you've ever asked God to give you some kind of sign of what to do, you felt what Saul was feeling here. And when we don't get that answer by the time we'd hoped, uh, we get frustrated with God, don't we? Day one, no direction. Day two, no direction. Jesus said he would give us the next step. Why hasn't he, we ask. Sometimes we try to take things into our own hands and get ahead of the Lord and his timing. I can honestly say that although Jesus doesn't always answer us when we want him to, we can rest assured without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus will answer us every time and he will give us the next step in his perfect timing. Saul had this battle of trusting Jesus as he laid in the dark for three days. You know, we've all been there in the dark, mentally, waiting on the Lord. There's a spiritual battle that happens there, doesn't it? I don't know why God brought me here. I don't know why God allowed this to happen. We face a choice. Will I trust God or not? I believe Saul chose to trust God because of verse 11. At the end of verse 11, what, Saul was, what was Saul doing there the day that Ananias was sent to him? He was praying. Sometimes when we're in the dark waiting for Jesus to make his next move, the only thing that we can do is pray and choose to trust God. As I said, this passage has a beautiful picture of trusting God, but also a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Saul was certainly battling his past as he lay there in the dark for three days. This is right after he just realized that all the people that he murdered and tortured were actually speaking the truth about Jesus. Can you imagine? Saul just realized that his murdering and his torturing of these people actually hurt Jesus to the heart because Jesus said why are you persecuting me so Saul now had nothing but time to think and remember he couldn't even be distracted by what was around him because he couldn't see anything Saul was in the dark alone with his thoughts and I promise you Satan was trying to use that time to make Saul choose not to follow God's calling Saul was battling the memory of his past. We don't know what he prayed to God, but we know that he did pray. So the question with this truth for us today, if you can switch the slide. The question for us today is, do I battle the memory of my past? Do I battle the memory of my past? How many of us have a past memory of something that we've done that is not a good memory? <laughs> How many of us have done things that we hope that no one ever finds out about? How many of us have persecuted Jesus by hating his people, hating his church, hating his word? How many of us think that our past dictate what we can do for God in our future? Jesus told Saul that he had a plan for Saul. Jesus picked Saul for a very specific ministry that Saul was uniquely qualified for. Saul... Saul's past in human eyes, when people looked at him, they viewed him as a Christian murderer. But Jesus saw the rest of Saul. And Jesus sees the rest of us all. 
Jesus sees the good in you. Jesus sees the potential that you have in belonging to him. Jesus sees past our faults. He sees past all the judgments that mankind casts on each other. He sees past our failings that we hold against ourselves. Man looks on the outward appearance, what we all can see and what we've heard. But man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's 1 Samuel tells us. Saul may have seen himself and others may have seen him as a murderer, but Jesus looked past that and viewed Saul as redeemed and made righteous by the forgiveness of his sins. A beautiful picture of forgiveness here. And you know, Jesus knew the skills that Saul had. Saul knew the Jewish culture and traditions better than anyone around, but also Saul grew up in Tarsus, which is a Greek town. So Saul knew the Greek language and the culture very well. On top of that, unlike the other apostles, Saul was a Roman citizen. Saul was also skilled at tent making, which meant he could earn money uh, when he needed to. And Saul had a passion and zeal for what he believes in. Now that Saul repented and became a Christian himself, from that point forward, his passion and his zeal would be channeled toward loving others and telling them about Jesus. Saul had all these things that made him Saul. Still, what other men saw when they looked at him was his past. So this was a tough three days here for Saul. What Saul battled were the memories of his past, but Jesus had already forgiven his past. And Jesus had a future in mind for Saul, even greater than he could have imagined. And you know what? It's the same for you. It's the same for me. Don't get in the way of God's calling for you. Don't let the past, which you've already been forgiven of, don't let the past get in the way of God's calling for you today. You know, but Saul wasn't alone in that battle of his own mind. If you could hit the slide twice, there you go. Ananias battled the fear of his future. God told Ananias to go to Saul and God was going to use Ananias to deliver a message to Saul and through Ananias God was going to perform a miracle and Saul's vision would be restored what was Ananias' response? look at verses 13 through 14 again he said Lord I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name apparently someone had heard that Saul got permission to go to Damascus and torture and kill more Christians. And so they decided to ride as hard as they could and beat Saul there to warn everyone. And Ananias had heard it. Think about the battle that was going on in his mind. Jesus spoke out loud to him first off. (laughs) Not only did Jesus speak out loud to him, but Jesus told Ananias that he was going to use him to perform a miracle. Think about the battle going on in Ananias' mind. You know, God had a calling for Ananias, and it was a pretty amazing one. And I'm sure Ananias was excited about that part. But Ananias also realized that it was the most dangerous thing that he could do at that time. You know, think about the thoughts that are going through his mind. I would imagine it's something like, this is Saul, God. Uh, This is Saul we're talking about here. Saul's torn up Jerusalem. He's dragged men, women, and even children to prison and tortured them and voted on their deaths. And now he set his sights on this town, my home city, Damascus. He's blind. Lord, you've made him blind. 
and you want me to have a part in restoring his sight, the first thing that he's going to do is kill me. Ananias had a battle in his mind that we've all had. You know, not specifically this, but similar. The battle of the fear of our future. The question for this is, do I fear the future? God is calling us to leave the safety of normal and go and do something that could be threatening to us. You know, Jared, with what you're facing, it's threatening to you. God's calling you to that. God's calling us to leave the safety of normal. We don't know what will happen. And you know, it is a scary thing. We've all had a fear of the future when it comes to following God's calling. The fact is, if Ananias had refused to obey God, then God would have found another way. But if Ananias had let fear win and he refused to obey God, then he would have missed out on the amazing plans that God had for Ananias. But God didn't leave Ananias alone to decide on his own. Jesus spoke the word of truth to him. Jesus doesn't leave us alone with our fears to make a choice. He gives us the words of truth, the ancient words as we've sang about. And the third truth that we see with this passage, if you can switch the slide, is cling to the hope found in Jesus and his word. Cling to the hope found in Jesus and his word. This is the answer to any battle of the mind that we have. This is the answer to any doubt that we have. This is the answer to any fear that we have. Cling to the promises of Jesus. Cling to the hope found in Jesus and his word. Saul may have been battling the memory of his past, and Ananias may have been battling the, the fear of his future, and you may be fighting the same battles in your mind, but Jesus overcomes all doubt with his hope. Cling to the hope of Jesus and his word. Jesus told Ananias in verses 15 through 16, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That promise from Jesus shattered the fear in Ananias' mind. And Ananias obeyed God's calling, and he went to Saul. And look what verse 17 says. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, and here it is, Brother Saul. It wasn't simply Saul. It wasn't simply, hello. Ananias said, brother Saul. Here, once again, is the beautiful picture of forgiveness. Ananias didn't see Saul as a threat anymore. Ananias didn't see Saul the way that others viewed him. Ananias knew that Saul was no longer an enemy, but a brother in the name of Jesus. Ananias, I'm sure, was tempted to hold the murder of his brothers and sisters against Saul. But instead, he realized and recognized how God forgave Saul, so he chose to forgive him too. That was probably the warmest greeting that Saul ever had. He was alone in the dark for three days, and a man comes in and calls him Brother Saul. Saul was greeted for the first time, not as rabbi, not as a Pharisee, but brother and the rest of what Ananias said was just as comforting for him. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus hadn't left Saul, and Saul's prayers were answered. The battle in Saul's mind was over at that point. 
Jesus had a plan for Saul, and Jesus even decided to restore Saul's eyesight. Jesus accepted Saul as his own, and this brother, Ananias, accepted him as his own. Both of these men clung to the hope of Jesus and his word. Both of these men received hope by the words of Jesus, and that shattered the battles that were going on in their minds. Don't get in the way of God's calling for you. Jesus speaks to us in his word, and everything written in there, he says to you specifically. And his promises in his word are not just for pastors or missionaries. They are for all of us every single day. Jesus is for you. Jesus has a plan for your life, a plan to make you prosper, not to harm you. Not plans of evil, but plans of peace for your heart and mind. Plans that give you a future and a hope, as Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us. Don't get in the way of God's calling for you. Let the hope that Jesus gives you in his word overcome any doubts that may be ruling your hearts and minds here this morning. Decide this morning to let the peace of Jesus rule your hearts and minds. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, God's calling for you starts right there. Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sins on the cross so that you would not have to. And he alone offers forgiveness of all your sins, all the past and all the future sins. His word promises you that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't wait another day to be saved. If you would like to do that but you want someone to walk you through it, please come see me after this and I'd love to do just that. Before I go into our uh, missions ministry, I want to pray with you all today, so let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this blessed group of believers. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how you speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, we know that you have a calling for each of us to serve you. Father, there may be some here who are battling with the memory of their past. There may be some here who are battling with the fear of their future. Help each of us, Lord, to cling to the hope that we have in you and your word. And as we do, we ask you to overcome any doubts that we have with your promises that you give us in your word. Help us not get in our own way of the calling that you have for each of us. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as Savior, we ask that you would help them call on you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, with thanksgiving. Amen.